And just a reminder, we are not here for ourselves. We're here for God, right? We're here to, we're here to extol God and here to lift his name up. We're here for him. We say, Lord, we, we love you this morning. God, would you help us to love you more? We're here to magnify his name. The king is here in Little Church by the Sea this morning. His presence is real. All we have to do is just be aware of his presence, that it's here, and that he cares deeply for every single one of you, that his love for you is unconditional, his love for you is irrevocable, his love for you is everlasting, that God is more than we could ever imagine or think. He's here for us this morning. We're here gathered together, and he loves it. He loves his people gathering together. He looks down from heaven, and I think he shouts to angels. They're meeting down there on Legion Street at Little Church by the Sea, and my people, <laughs> my people are listening and singing and worshiping and finding me in fresh ways. And that's what my prayer is this morning. You would find something fresh in God today. Wouldn't that be something? Every little moment of something fresh in God builds us to become more like Jesus. Paul said in 2 Corinthians that we're being changed from glory to glory. May a little glory come this morning. How about that? Huh? How, would, how would you like a little glory this morning that would change and transition you to become more like him? I would like a little less of me and a little more of him this morning. How about you? Huh? All right, well, as most of you know, I, I, I just returned from a trip to uh, the Philippines, and uh, I've been going there for 20 years, and I have lots of people I love down there. Philippines is an amazing place. It is the most Christian-slash-Catholic nation in the world. You walk into a store in town, and worship music is playing in the store, like not background music, but real worship, not Christmas songs, but worship music, loud and clear, in lots of stores, not just a few. And the pedicabs, the taxi cabs there, a lot of them have verses of scripture written on the sides of the vehicles. And then if you open up the local newspaper, it's full of Bible studies and devotionals and people running quarter page ads like, I'm, I'm giving God glory for our 35th wedding anniversary. It's pretty cool. It's a whole different environment and culture. So anyway, I was at this church. The first, second church I spoke at in 2002 when I went there was a church called Jesus Cares. I just love the name of this church, Jesus Cares. And... Um, the, uh, the daughter and the husband of the pastor asked me if I'd like to go visit their new home, and it was way out in the jungle. I said, well, I have the afternoon off, so I would love to do that. So we drove into the mountains. Uh, the city I go to is a little place called Dumaguete. We drove into the mountains, which means that we were heading for the jungle, and then we veered off the main road, and that was fine because it was paved for a long time, and then the paved road transitioned into a gravel road, 
And we kept driving and driving in a gravel, a gravel road, then transitioned into a dirt road in which there was just, it was just wide enough for the Jeep that we were, we were in. And we drove for a half, and we were going deeper and deeper into the jungle. And finally, I came over this little knoll, and there was her home. I got a couple of photographs. There's, a kind, of, there's kind of the road that, that was, we were driving on. It's a similar road to this road here. And then the next photo, it, that's the side yard to where, and, and it's, it's, there's nothing else there, folks. It's out in the middle of the jungle. I stepped out of the car, and there wasn't a, no, there wasn't a sound. There was not a noise that you could hear. And the, uh, the couple that I went with, their mother came. She's a very uh, elderly woman. And we walked in the house, and she said, I just love coming to this place because it's so peaceful. And then she laid down on the couch and went to sleep right there. <laughs> really? Yeah. And uh, her name is Dondi. And Dondi, if you're listening to the recording of this, I'm mentioning your name right here. But uh, probably 150 coconut trees there. And the, and the husband took a stick on one of the shorter trees and knocked the coconut down, broke it in half, poured me a glass of coconut juice, and scraped out the inside. And I had a coconut dessert right there. It was, just, it was pretty cool. But the, it was just so peaceful. I was there for three hours, and every once in a while, way in the distance, you'd hear a, a rooster crow. So this was, this was the peace that the world, the peace that the world gives us. It's a, it's a peace that we, we don't find too often. A lot of you who go up to St. Andrew's Abbey in Palermo, you love going there because it's, it's peaceful. My wife and I uh, love going to Cedar Lake up in Big Bear, because when the camp has nobody else there and it's just the two of us, it is very peaceful there. But this earthly peace doesn't last a long time because when I left and drove about a mile down the road, we went by a rooster farm in which they raised the roosters for cockfighting, which is a really bloody violent sport. And there's all kinds of chaos and, 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 and noise, you know, and, and, and the... And the transition from peace to, to a noisy place was, uh, was not too long, you know, and, and so we look for these times of peace. So my Advent message this morning is peace, and you'll see the second uh, picture here of the two hands holding the dove. It was painted by Melanie Florio, who at the time was living with Bobby Boyd over on Hawthorne, and she painted this picture in Brad Coleman's garage. I saw her working on it when she was painting it. So I want to talk about peace this morning. And the first thing I want to say to you, and the most important part of this message, is this truth right now, that God's peace is different from the world's peace. God's peace is dramatically opposite of the peace that we find here in the world. Okay, so I've got a couple of definitions of uh, peace for us, the difference between human peace and God's peace. So here's human peace, is a state of contentment resulting from no conflict or trouble, freedom from disturbances, tranquility, the absence of noise, circumstances are good. This is the kind of peace that we find in the world. But God's peace, like I said, is very, very different. It's a state of contentment, free from worry, even in the midst of the most difficult 
and trying circumstances or especially because of trying and difficult circumstances, all kinds of problems, all kinds of troubles, you still are able to find contentment and peace. Trusting in God no matter what takes place. So this, uh, and because life is such a mix of good times and hard times, amen? Life is such a mix of joy and then sometimes grief. Life is such a mix of good circumstances and bad situ uh, situations, all kinds of things hitting us sometimes that we have no clue that they're coming. And so for you and I as believers, God gives us something that we didn't have as unbelievers. And I've picked what I think are the three best scriptures for our subject this morning of God's peace in the midst of troubles. And if I could have the first two, uh, I've written here three significant verses promising peace. The first two are from John's Gospel, as you can see, from the 14th chapter and the 16th chapter. And what makes this, these two verses especially pertinent is that this is known, uh, John, this part of John's Gospel from chapter 13 through chapter 17 is known as the Upper Room Discourse. And the Upper Room Discourse takes place just hours before Jesus is going to the cross. Just hours. So when he's talking about peace, you need to put it in context that Jesus knows that in just a few hours, he's going to die a terrible death. Not only is it going to be a physical suffering, but he's going to take upon himself the sin of the whole world, which is going to be something much greater in the way of suffering than just physical suffering. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 puts it like this, He who knew no sin became sin for us that you and I be, might become the very righteousness of God. How do you like that for an exchange? He takes our sin, he becomes sin for us, and then when we come to him, he gives us his righteousness. He takes away our sin, he gives us his righteousness. So this all is facing Jesus when he gives the apostles these two verses. Let's look at the first one, and, and I know these are familiar to most of you. John 14, 27. Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. I'm giving you a peace, but it's not like the peace that the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled. Well, why does he say that? Because he knows when things hit us, immediately our hearts incline to be troubled. Isn't that right? We all have, we, but, but the, the, it's, it's the initial feeling of anxiety or worry when we get hit with trouble is normal. It's what you do after it comes that's important. And this is what I'm going to talk about uh, in my message this morning. Let not your heart be troubled, and neither let it be afraid. And I, and I would have to say that both in my own life and in the life of many people that I speak with, fear, fear is a big issue in your life and my life. Is that not right? Fear, like the, the unknown, or what's going to happen? 
that feeling of uncertainty, that feeling of fear, of not knowing what's going on, of getting hit sideways because you didn't expect something and you have this reaction to it, you know, your heart becomes troubled and then fear lands and it's at that point you have a choice. At that point, when you get hit sideways and you get knocked off your feet, it's at that point that you have a choice. Are you going to focus on what's just happened or are you going to focus on God? And if you focus on God, then the promises of God then are imparted. God releases, and he's waiting to see how you're going to react. He's waiting to see. All of you are going to get hit sideways. All of you are going to get hammered, one way or another. And that's normal. And the first reaction of like shock or disbelief or anxiety or worry, that's all normal. But what are you going to do after the initial uh, emotion hits you? And that's really a key to life. Like I've said many times over the years from this pulpit, it's not suffering that's the issue in life or troubles that are the issue in life or trials that are the issue of life. It's how you respond to them is the real issue of life because we're all going to have trouble. And that's what the next verse tells us, John 16, 33. John 16, 33 is the last verse in the 16th chapter of John. And it is a verse that I have quoted. If I've quoted it 10 times, I've quoted it 10,000 times in my life. These things I've spoken to you, all that he's spoken in those chapters in the Upper Room Discourse, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. Now notice the little phrase, in me. These things I've spoken to you, that in me, in Jesus, not in yourself, not in Jeff, not in Jay, not in Mike, not in Don. It's in Christ. Only in him will you find this peace. These things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Guaranteed. All right? It, Jesus doesn't tell half-truths, you guys. In the world you're going to have tribulation. I would say most of you here this morning are in... I don't know where you are on the meter from 1 to 10, but you're in some trouble right now or some, uh, some challenge. Amen? Yes. Is there any, uh, who can stand up here and say, I have no troubles at all in my life? <laughs> I don't see anybody standing up. I'm certainly not standing up just because I'm for that reason. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm just thinking of the old spirits, you know, about how troubles are piled up, you know, and I've been in a season like that like recently. So these things I've spoken to you, that in me, in me, in Christ, in God, in the Lord, that in him you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Wow, that makes me want to shout. Yes, Lord, you have overcome the world. I'm glad, because isn't the world making you a little crazy right now? Like, I can't, I can't look at the news. I can't look at my, my uh, iPhone news page. It just is nutty right now. Nothing seems right. Everything seems upside down. It's all crazy. Guess what? You can just quit looking at it because it'll make you in a bad mood. Just look at God. Just, th this is a time in life. This is a time of c culture. This is a season of history 
We need to be looking at God. Nothing else. We need to be looking at God, loving God and loving one another because the world is not offering us much of anything right now. And then the next verse is very familiar to all of you from Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And, you know, I was thinking this morning, the first four words there, be anxious for nothing, that's not like a wish that Paul's making. It's a command. It's a command. Like, be anxious for nothing. I like that. That's kind of a shocker. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, no matter what the circumstance might be, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So here's the third verse. We have the first two from Jesus, this one from Paul, in his fourth letter to the a church at Philippi. And why would he write that verse to that particular church? Because the persecution of Philippi was severe. It was a Roman city, and the believers there were persecuted severely because they refused to worship Caesar. So be anxious for nothing, but in everything, all circumstances, every situation, you pray, you give thanks to God, you let him know how you're feeling, and God says, I'll release peace that passes all understanding. Like you can't figure it out. You can't understand, how can I be experiencing that, this peace? All right, so now I'm going to get personal. So I've had four or five crises in my life. And I have done well, God's done well in me and through me in two or three of these crises where I felt like God carried me through. And I'm just going to mention briefly a couple of them because most of you have been here have heard this before. But the first crisis I went through was, um, and with my wife, was when our house burned in the 93 Laguna firestorm. Our, our house burned and it was traumatic and it was difficult. But I felt like in the two years it took to rebuild that God's peace was very evident in my life for a lot of that time. Not that I did perfect, but God carried us through and I give praise to God for that. And uh, I felt this peace that passes all understanding because when you lose everything that you've ever had, it's not easy. The second time was in September of 2011. Nikki and I were on a post-Sodus festival vacation. We had flown into Jackson Hole, Wyoming. We had rented a car, we were driving to Yellowstone, and my cell phone rang, and Nikki answered it, and it was my doctor. And I pulled over, and the doctor said, Jay, I need to let you know that uh, you've been, uh, that I uh, did the biopsies, that, uh, and you have aggressive cancer in your prostate. You have prostate cancer. And if you don't do anything about it, you might live maybe two years. But if we treat you, I can probably give you a guarantee of around 10. <laughs> Uh, when you hear the news, Jay, you have cancer, that's, that's, that's a terrifying word. But I felt peace anyway in the midst of all of that. And, and in the following January, I, I did 44 radiation treatments. Uh, Nikki drove with me to every single one of them. I would drive the car and she would drive me home. 44 radiation treatments. So I lay on this table and this big machine goes around me, firing radiation uh, into the cancerous area, and I give praise to God for medicine and for doctors, who now I have no cancer, it is completely gone, 
And the doctors told me that I'm going to die of something else. <laughs> yeah. So I give, I give praise to God for that. So like, I did well on those two. And I, give, and I thank God for it. But unfortunately, there have been a couple of other crises in my life where I did not experience that kind of peace that I did with the fire and with the cancer diagnosis. And I found myself caught sideways, hit hard, and riddled with worry and fear and anxiety, uh, stress, and wondering, like, what's going to happen? See, when you begin to focus on what's going to happen and your focus goes off God, you're in trouble. There's a word that I really love that I think that encapsulates, encapsulates this thing about wondering. It's called ruminating. Ruminating is the worst thing you can do. Something bad happens to you, and then what you do is you, you think about it, and then you start thinking about every possibility that could happen. Well, well what's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen next week? What's going to happen next month? Well, what about this? This could happen or that could happen. Or, God, are you going to see me through this? Or is it all over? Or what's going on? And you ruminate and you, and you stress and you're worried and you're anxious. And all you do is just get more and more miserable. It gets terrifying. It gets terrifying when you, when you focus on your circumstances. I remember 1980, in a situation in 1980, I just, it just took me out for months because I focused on the circumstances and I didn't focus on God. So the message, and I've said to you many times, when I speak to you, I'm not just speaking to you, I'm speaking to myself, also, and so I just want to like confess to you guys that I miserably failed two or three times. And one time recently, two or three times where I just, I just did not focus on God. I just focused on what happened and became miserable. That's my confession to all of you. And I know the difference. And so I, what you do in your failures, I think a few of you have failed here or there, what you, what you do in your failures is you learn from them. Yeah, I, I've learned, I'm learning, and it never is perfect, but, I, but I, I, I'm learning, so the next time something comes and hits me, God, just help me respond like I should. Help me respond like you want me to respond, that I, that I could have your peace, that I could find your peace. So if you're here this morning, and you're going through difficulty, there's only one victory for you, and that is to put your focus off your circumstances and on God. Amen? Amen. Off your circumstances. If you, put your, if you put your focus on your circumstances and, and uh, off God, you're in trouble. You're just going to, you're going to get mean. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get mean. Because you're going to think all kinds of stuff. But if you can focus on God, um, you're going to find the peace that Jesus promised. And I found a verse which I think is so powerful as a wrap-up 
to this message. And it's from Isaiah 26.3. Like this is, like, this is such a great verse. Thou will give perfect peace whose mind has stayed on thee, who puts their trust in you. This is from, written by Isaiah. When, when Israel was in complete turmoil, they're right on the verge of getting uh, taken into captivity by the Syrians, the northern kingdom. And, and Isaiah is writing to those who are true and faithful to God in the midst of captivity, in the midst of all kinds of trouble and chaos. God will give you perfect peace if your mind is stayed on him. God will put you in perfect peace for your mind to be stayed on God. Think you can do that? Jay, can you do that? Like Nikki said to start the message, like I need some help to do that. So this is why we need each other. Like when you see somebody like, like just swirling about in all kinds of worry and turmoil, you just need to remind them about that verse or remind her about that verse. Perfect peace comes when our mind is stayed on God. Well, that's where our mind should be staying anyway. Isn't that true? This is where our mind should be all the time. The next verse, by the way, after verse 7 here in um, Philippians, you, you don't need to go back to that slide, where, perfect, where a peace that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind. The next, very next verse says, Think on these things, those things that are good and right and true and pure and lovely and all of that. Think on these things. Life is a lot about the mind. Life is a lot about how we think. Life is a lot about are we going to look at our circumstances that are just terrible or are we going to look at God and say, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm going to trust you. How many would like to trust God this morning for what you're in? I would like, so let's declare it. Let's just declare it. And, and just repeat this. I know that this might be corny to some of you, but, this, but in dec there's a lot of promises in declaration by simply saying, God, I'm going to trust you today. So let's say this together. God, I'm going to trust you. One, two, three. God, I'm going to trust you today and tomorrow and the next day. We're going to trust you, God. Because is God, is God real or not? Huh? God is real. And God says, put your trust in me. Put your trust in me. The verse in Psalm 46. I'm, I'm trying to... Uh, God will, uh, in all our circumstances, God will be a present help in all our troubles. God will be a very present help in all our troubles. You can count on it. You can count on Romans 8.28. All things work together for the good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Not 90%, not 98%, not most. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who trust God. And that's the Christian life. Are we going to trust God or are we just going to get uh, thrown about by our circumstances? And this is really a measuring line for us, for you and me.